Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you in part by Book Riot Insiders. You can bag your bookish perks with a 14-day free trial when you sign up for a monthly or yearly novel subscription. The first 14 days are free. You can wishlist upcoming releases you're dying to read. You can get exclusive podcasts and newsletters. You can enter to win swag. And the new release index, which is how you can wishlist those upcoming releases, is curated by all the book's host, Liberty Hardy. So she will help you keep track of the most exciting up coming books. Come on in. Your bag of bookish perks is waiting. Go to bookriot.com slash insiders to find out more. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 157, and we are recording on November 13th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. What's up, Amanda? Happy Michelle Obama Day. Happy Michelle Obama <laughs> Day. <laughs> She has no, 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 no. Y'all didn't know. That's what's happening today. Yes. It'll be out for two days by the time you listen to this. But yeah, it can. Maybe it's their Happy Michelle Obama Day. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's obviously what you're reading. <laughs> yes, I, I am. I pre-ordered the audiobook um, oh. when the announcement was made that she had the book coming out, like a year ago <laughs> or whenever <laughs> it was. I don't remember. Um, anyway, and I got the notification when I woke up this morning that it was available, so I started listening to it in the shower, which is more information than any of y'all wanted about me, <laughs> but there it is. What about you? Wait, is she narrating mm-hmm. it? Does she yes, narrate it? she does. Mm-hmm. Okay. That might be an audiobook I actually will do. I don't normally audiobook, but that sounds, that sounds great. Um, I am reading, I'm reading The Monster Brew Cormorant by Seth Dickinson, which is the second in the Masquerade series. And like this series, the first book like takes your heart and like jumps up and down on it repeatedly. Um, it's a fantasy that actually, the more I read of it, the more I'm like, this is the comp for Game of Thrones Mm. that I think a lot of people are looking for. Um, it's like full of trigger warnings. There's assault and institutionalized homophobia and torture and, um, but it's really good. (laughs) It's like the best hurt awfulness. Um, so the sequel just came out and I, I am working on reading that and it continues to be like crazy, like fantasy politics and backstabbing and triple backstabbing and, you know, all of these really intense characters. And it's, it's really, it's something I'll tell you what it's something. Um, all right. So you are listening obviously to this show, which is a personalized reading recommendation show. You send us in questions and we will try to find the best book for you. It can be for you personally, for your book club, for a friend or a relative, uh, whatever it is that you have reading needs, we will do our best to meet them. You can send in the questions via the show notes on the website. For every episode, there's a form at the bottom of the notes. Or you can email them to us at getbookedatbookriot.com. And let's see, we have a little feedback from a prior episode. Um, 
for the for Ben's daughter in episode 155, Hannah recommends Dragon Skin Slippers by Jessica Day George, Inkheart by Cornelia Funk, the rain is it Funke? I never remember. <laughs> the Ranger's Apprentice by John Flanagan, the Stravaganza series by Mary Hoffman, and Aragon by Christopher Paolini. Thank you very much, Hannah. Um, okay, I'm going to read our first question, and then Amanda will do our first sponsor, and then we will dive into our recommendations. This is from Amelia, who says, I am recently married, and we are getting ready to go on our honeymoon in December. We're heading to Australia. My husband and I have no intention of just lying on the beach and relaxing all honeymoon. That is not our style. Instead, we plan to do plenty of historical tours. My favorite tours are when I have a little background on the history of a place. I was hoping you guys could recommend some historical fiction novels set in Australia, especially dating back to its early colonial days and possibly some about its aboriginal population. I do not like nonfiction or pages and pages of descriptions. All right. What's our first sponsor, Amanda? Alrighty. Our first sponsor is Penguin Random House Audio. Book Club season is back. I don't know. Do you Every time I do these ad reads, I do these like incredible tangents about my personal life. So my book club did not take a summer break, but that is apparently a thing. Book clubs take summer breaks and now it is fall. So book clubs are starting again. And audiobooks are the perfect way to get through your uh, book club book if you are too busy to actually sit down and read it, which if my experience again is anything uh, to go by, that is pretty common. <laughs> we all get a little too busy, especially when it's, you know, it's a, bit, it's a book you didn't pick because then you, you feel no personal investment in it. So try it on audio because you can, you know, it's multitasking at its best. You can work it into your everyday life where you're driving, doing dishes, whatever. Um, and then you won't be unprepared for book club again and have to get really tipsy because you're just drinking wine. So there's something in your mouth so you don't have to talk. Not that I've ever done that. Um, <laughs> they've got new releases um, like The Witch Elm by Tana French, uh, Florida, written and read by Lauren Groff, who is amazing. And her voice is very soothing. And you can hear it on an episode of Recommended that I produced. And um, yeah, her voice is just like, it's very nice. She'd be a great narrator. Um, or Christina Dalcher's Vox, which is a new sci-fi novel that's just come out where women can only speak 100 words a day and what that's like. Um, that'd be really good on audio and kind of ironic on audio. Because it's spoken. Haha. So you can enjoy, you know, a whole new book club experience. For more suggestions for your book club and to download those books, you can go to tryaudiobooks.com slash book riot. Alrighty. Um, I'll just keep going. So books- let's recap that question. Yes, now, yes, I was gonna say that. Yes. Uh we had some feedback that when we do the ad reads before we answer the question, sometimes people forget what the question was. So the question is historical fiction set in Australia. Okay, so I picked a classic of Australian historical fiction, and that is Thorn Birds by Colleen McCullough. Um, And this is a multi-generational family epic saga. So if you are into, like, the uh, East of Eden, like Steinbeck's East of Eden, or even Gone with the Wind kind of things, but not Gone with the Wind specifically, because, you know, I don't have to explain why, then this is um, probably something that you would really enjoy. It actually opens, the book opens in New Zealand, and the kind of main character um, is a little girl named Maggie. And so you open on her family's uh, farm in New Zealand. And then eventually she ends up in Australia and the rest of the book takes place in the outback of Australia. Uh, and it follows three generations mostly of this family, mostly the like matriarchs, um, who have, well, the first two, not the second, who like, have, it's just heartbreaking. Like they experience a lot of interpersonal trauma is what I'm saying. Uh, love, like marrying people they don't love, having more children than is humanly feasible or necessary for life. Uh, One of the characters falls in love with the Catholic priest. You can imagine how that goes. Um, I will say that the book is 
Um, problematic. It was written in the 70s and is about three generations of a white family. And it starts, um, the book opens right before World War One, So it's not, like, woke. You're not reading, like, a woke historical fiction uh, book about Australian uh, colonization or history or anything like that. It does touch on some racial issues, but there's no deep diving and you are still very much, you know, white colonist gaze. But it is such an epic. Like, it is just sweeping. You'll, you'll be reading it and you'll be hearing that like rising violin music in the background the whole time. Like that, oh, like suns are rising and setting and hearts are breaking. It's just right in the feels, this one. So that is The Thorn Birds by Colleen McCullough. I picked That Dead Man Dance by Kim Scott, which I actually read for a previous question and just became obsessed with. Um, It is set in what is now Albany in Western Australia, and it's about the first contact between the Aboriginal Noongar people and the first European settlers. Um, And Kim Scott himself is ancestrally Noongar, um, so it is an own voices book. And this book is so beautifully written. Like, it's, it's... it's kind of bizarre because it's a very playful prose style. Um, a lot of the book is just really told from uh, a young man named Bobby Wabalin- Wabalingani. I'm not sure I got that right. But anyway, he is a uh, Noongar and very young when the settlers arrive and sort of takes on this, you know, role of guide and, you know, friend and gets, you know, taught by the some of the European settlers. And he's a little bit of a bridge between the elders of his tribe and the settlers. Um, and he's got like this amazing sense of humor. He's like kind of silly and um, but also, you know, so sharp and so uh, insightful. And so you're getting this like a little bit like whimsical viewpoint on a very serious subject, which I think really balances very nicely. And the prose is sort of like a little bit whimsical. It jumps around. It's like people use lyrical and musical to describe it. And I think that's right. So it's it moves really quickly and it just sucks you right in. Um, And yeah, it's I mean, it's kind of, you know, we already sort of all know the broad outlines of the story, but you get both the... uh, they're sailors um, uh, who were setting up trade, specifically trade routes and whalers. Um, and you get sort of some of their perspectives as well as the perspectives of the uh, Aboriginal inhabitants of Australia. And so you get this very 360 view, but it's all sort of centered around Bobby. And um, it goes from first contact to sort of, you know, when the settlers have really settled in and and it's much and and Bobby is now like an older man and sort of a novelty um, you know, telling his stories to the young people. So, I it's a it's a gorgeous book. It's really amazing. I think if if anybody is interested in the history of Australia and the settler history, this is 100% needs to go on your list. So that's That Dead Man Dance by Kim Scott. All right, question two is from Bess, who says, I'm writing to ask for reading recommendations to read over my honeymoon. It's the honeymoon show. Um, (laughs) We're going to an all-inclusive resort, and I can't wait to lie around and read. I'm specifically asking for books that are tender, heart-rending romance, where you just want them to be together. Examples include Song of Achilles, Room with a View, uh, Golden Compass series, Will and Lyra Forever. I already own Possession. Uh, haven't read it yet. Way down with pining and angst. I'm not really looking for a romance novel, but a literary story where two characters love is 
oh so Bernie and tender. Okay, so I took this question to mean you're looking for a romance novel with a sad ending, <laughs> uh, because yeah. otherwise what you're asking for is a romance novel. So I went with The Mothers by Britt Bennett, and this is, oh, man, this relationship in this book is so complicated, because you will vacillate between being like, just be together, and then being like, why are you speaking to that person? Like, never speak to them again. I want to throw this book into a vat of burning acid, which isn't a thing. But, like, I can't deal with you two anymore. So it's very angsty and burning and, like, ah! I don't, and raging. So this takes place in California. Um, and it is mostly set in a black community in Southern California around a church. And the main character's name is Nadia. She's 17 and her mother has just committed suicide. So she's, like, acting out. She's um, getting really drunk and, like partying a lot and, you know, kind of ignoring her father and she's just, you know, having a moment. She gets caught up in a relationship with Luke, a uh, boy named Luke, who is 21. He was a football star in high school, but he got injured and is now waiting tables and like trying to figure out what he wants to do with his life. He's also her pastor's son. So they get in a uh, romantic relationship. She gets pregnant and decides to have an abortion. And then their relationship falls apart from there. He uh, eventually marries Nadia's best friend, Aubrey, who is a much, uh, much more like, quote unquote, kind of pious girl, very religious, um, very conservative and traditional. Uh, but the thing between Luke and Nadia never really dies. So it's kind of this like triangle. There's lots of betrayal. There's lots of secrets. They never really tell um, Aubrey about the extent of their relationship when they were younger um, and the decisions that they made when they were 17 and 21 and also the decisions that Luke's parents who are the pastors make um, to kind of keep this relationship quiet follows these characters through their adulthood. It's a it's a coming of age uh, novel, Nadia's coming of age because she goes from being 17 making all these unwise choices and acting out of like her grief and her emotions to being an adult who is still acting out of her grief and her emotions. So it's very character driven. And the relationship between the two of them is so twisty turny and like, ugh, like it's so hard to describe. You feel like they deserve to be together and that they should be together. And like it's fate, but also they're terrible for each other. It's one of those <laughs> things where like, you can't decide. You can't decide. Like I want you to be together so that you're happy, but you're never happy when you're together. So I don't know why I feel this way. Anyway, it's very human, I guess is a good way to put it. So that's The Mothers by Britt Bennett. Yeah, I, I, I went like back and forth on this one. And then I remembered my education by Susan Choi. And I was just obsessed with the central couple in this book, even though like, it's not like, it's not easy to root for. And it is, oh my gosh, the angst in this book is like, dialed up to 11. There is so much of it. Um, it is about a young woman named Regina Gottlieb, who is a graduate student um, at this like very prestigious university. And um, she has been warned about this one professor um, who she's going to be working with. Like, oh, yeah. Um, like, everybody's like, oh, yeah, care be careful of him. Um, and she's just like, all right, whatever. And like, but he's he is very attractive. But it's like, oh, maybe I'm like a little into him maybe it's fine and then she meets his wife and everything just sort of gets really intense um and so there's an affair and there's a, like it, it's really twisty and turny emotionally like there's not like a ton of plot um because it's just like the story of this affair and then sort of how it ends or doesn't end um and the you get also 15 years into the future um and it's really 
oh, like I was just like, oh, I'm obsessed with these characters. Like I, I like, like Amanda was saying, like, I want you to be together, but you're so unhappy. Yeah. But also like, I feel bad for the other people involved, but oh my gosh, like I want you to be together. Um, I shipped it so hard despite my better judgment, which I feel like is what you're asking for. It's hard to tell um, because it's like, I, I kind of want people to end up together happily, which is what romance novels are great for. But yeah, if you want like unrequited shipping, I guess this is your, your one of, uh, one of many good options. Um, and yeah, I, I just I think this book is so it just really nails that sort of out of control obsession and desire you can have for somebody who you just know you should stay away from. Um, So, again, that is my education by Susan Choi. All right, let's see. The next bu- uh, question, rather, is from Sitzel, who says, uh, I loved Sorcerer to the Crown by Zen Cho, and I'm waiting on Tenterhooks for the next book in the series. I'm looking for something to fill that hole in my heart. I really like both the Regency, the politics, the slow m- romance, and the magic elements of the book. The Regency period is such an interesting time in British history, right on the edge of the modern, but not quite there yet. Um, I don't need the book to have magic, but it's always a plus, and I've already read Arabella of Mars, Shades of Milk and Honey, and Sorcery and Cecilia. Alright. Um, yeah, you go ahead. Okay. <laughs> um, I picked Heartstone by L. Catherine White, which is Pride and Prejudice with Dragons. And I think I just got the sequel in the mail and I'm so excited. Um, so the main character is Eliza. Probably unsurprising to anyone that's not Elizabeth, it's Eliza. Um, and she lives in Maryborn Manor. Uh, and her neighborhood, county, whatever, area of the country where she lives has been invaded by griffins. And these griffins have killed her sister. So, um, you know, she's grieving. Her family is kind of in turmoil. And they bring in, uh, or they, like, the county bands together and pools their money together to bring in a group of riders who are dragon riders. And these are people who work for the, uh, work for the king, who travel the country, um, defeating these monsters as they invade uh, inhabited areas and cause, you know, and are threats to the people who live there. So the, the dragon riders come on their, you know, big dragons, which are sentient, which is my favorite. Sentient dragons is, like, apparently a trope that I love. Um, and it's all very romantic, and then the lead dragon writer, Alistair, um, Eliza expects to be, you know, intimidating, but, like, efficient and effective and, like, kind of a hero, and to slay these monsters who hurt her sister and her family, but he turns out to be just, like, a massive jerk. And if you have read Pride and Prejudice, then I, you know where this is going. (laughs) Um, and the, my favorite part of this, of this novel is the, um parallels the ways that L. Catherine White makes it Pride and Prejudice with dragons. Um, for example, like the the big scary aunt from Pride and Prejudice who, uh, I don't remember her name, but Darcy's aunt who like comes to Elizabeth's house and yells at her is a, is a dragon in Hearthstone, like a big cranky dragon who yells. <laughs> it's just so good. It's just so good. Um, and But it takes kind of a turn from a romance about Eliza and Alistair and how their relationship is going to form and turns out to be, like, this giant battle of good and evil where Eliza has to go to actual war to, like, defeat evil monsters. So if you wanted Pride and Prejudice to end with, like, a little more bloodshed, then this is this is definitely the thing for you. So that is Heartstone <laughs> by L. Catherine White. 
think I've got to read that. It's so <laughs> Every great. time you talk about it, I'm like, I need to read it. More um, fun, more fun. When will there be time? <laughs> okay. Um, I want to briefly shout out the works of Gail Carriger, which I think are definitely in your wheelhouse. Um, if you have not picked them up already, Amanda has talked about them before. Um, but my pick for you is Witch Mark by C.L. Polk, which is technically Edwardian, but hear me out. I think that you will appreciate it is like also sort of right on the edge of the modern. Um, and Edwardian period is like World War One-ish. And this book is a fictionalized sort of version of if there was magic and also World War One. Um, so it is about a young man named Miles Singer. He is a veteran um, and now works in sort of like the Edwardian version of a VA hospital. Um, and he is treating soldiers with shell shock. Um, what he, what nobody knows is that he can do magic and he is using his magic to help these soldiers who there is something weird about their symptoms and he's trying to figure it out. Um, and he, you find out as you go on that he is like a little bit in hiding because in this world, magic is very strictly regulated. Only the upper classes are allowed to do it. If you are like a lower class person and you have magic, you are called a witch and sent away to an asylum. Um, and then the upper classes, if you can do magic, you're like bound to an aristocrat and can only do magic at their bidding. So he has reasons for why he is not wanting anybody to know that he can do magic or to know who he really is. Um, and then one day, like a stranger literally falls into his arms die, like, and dies of poisoning. Um, and he gets sucked in to this sort of uh, quest that ends up like sending him into this huge conspiracy around magic and there is a beautiful gay love story like talk about shipping things oh my god I shipped this so hard um, it's so good and what I loved about this book is like it deals with serious issues like oppression and you know class um like class systems and, you know, PTSD um, and like whether war is really ever justified. But then also it's got like it's fun and it's got a love story and it, it just like retains just enough lightness that you're not just like bogged down. Um, so it feels like the perfect. I, it, I, it Honestly, it's one of my favorite books of this year. Like it was just the perfect read for me. Um, and I think you will get a lot of the same things that you loved about Sorcerer to the crown out of this one um and so yeah again that is Witchmark by cl polk the author is also a woman of color which there's not a ton of england magic mm. novels written by women of color and and so this is like definitely one for that list as well so, i did yeah, not know again. that oh yeah mm -hmm. it's she. i cannot wait for what comes next it's so good um so that's again Witchmark by cl polk all right. Question four is from Lauren, who says, I'm looking for recommendations for my 11-year-old daughter. She would love to read YA, but I think I would like to hold off from the love relationships and more adult themes for a bit longer. Last year, she read Some Kind of Happiness by Claire Legrand and said it was written for her. I'm looking for books that are perhaps more mature, but somewhere in between middle grade and YA. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay. I picked Akata Witch by Nettie Okorafor, um, which I think is perfect for, for crossover from middle grade to YA. It's basically Harry Potter in Nigeria. Um, and it's about a 12-year-old girl, so I think there'll be a lot of, like, 
feelings and preteen angst here, if she's got that, that she can relate to. Um, her name is, what is her? Oh, Sunny, right. Um, the main character's name is Sunny. She has an interesting childhood. She's born in New York. Her parents, from her, her parents are from Nigeria. She's born in New York. So she has an American accent. But when she's 12, they move back to Nigeria. So she goes, obviously, with her parents, moves to Nigeria from New York. Um, she's also albino. So she's getting teased and bullied a lot in school because she can't do a lot of the things that the other kids are doing because of her skin. She can't, you know, play soccer out in the sun in midday, all of those sorts of things. Um, also, she has an American accent. Even though she is Nigerian, she doesn't sound like one, so she's getting teased, uh, teased about that. Uh, and then, through a series of events, she befriends two other kind of outcasted kids in her neighborhood and one who goes to her school, and then realizes that she has magical powers. I'm not going to tell you how it happens, uh, but it's really interesting how she figures out that she has these abilities that are kind of tied to her um, albinism. Uh, and so, the magical system that she inhabits in this book is hereditary, but she doesn't really know her... Um, her, her grandparents. So there's also that family thing of, like, my parents have been keeping secrets from me, and, like, how do I explore this part of myself without angering my family and all that kind of stuff. Um, and while all of that is happening, she's having this, like, coming-of-age identity issue, dealing with bullying, making new friends. Uh, there's also a killer on the loose in her town who they call him the Black Hat, who is kidnapping children. Um, and so there is, it is a little bit more uh, dark, I would say, than most middle-grade novels, but it's not on the page, like, it's not gore or violence, they're on the page, you know. So I still think it would be fine for an 11-year-old. And so her and her friends, who also turn out to have magical abilities and are going to, to like, le- learn, going to lessons um, to learn how to manage them, become uh, the youngest coven in the, like, history of the area. And it, it becomes their responsibility to solve these murders and to figure out uh, who's committing them and how to stop them. And uh, there's also a second book that came out, I think, last year, Akata Warrior, which is just as good. So that's Akata Witch by Nettie Okorafor. I picked The Jumbies by Tracy Batiste. Um, it is really solidly middle grade, but when I was looking at Some Kind of Happiness uh, by Claire Legrand, the magic really stood out to me. And I think that the focus on the magic part of the plot will appeal to your daughter. Um, and there's two books in the series, so she likes it. There's a second one. Um, this one takes place in the Caribbean. It's about a young girl named Corinne who is, like, really fearless. Um, she Because she doesn't believe in any of the folklore around, like, the monsters that might live in the woods, um, or the jungle, rather, uh, the forest. Trees. Many trees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so she, like, you know, she goes into the forest and, you know, isn't worried about it, even though people are like, oh, be careful, the jumbies are going to get you. Um, and then one day she does go into the forest and maybe something follows her back out. Um, and the next day she sees a stranger in her very small town at um, the marketplace and she feels like something unexpected is going to happen. And then this stranger turns up at her house and is like bewitching her dad. Um, and so now she has to figure out like, who is this person? What does she want? What is going on? And it unfolds all of these family secrets. Um, and there's a really sweet little friend group that she develops. And there's like very, there's a lot of action. There's a lot of trying to plan out, like, how are they going to defeat the monsters? Um, and it's just a totally different folklore, right? It's it's Caribbean. Um, so uh, based on a Haitian folktale in particular. Um, and so you get this whole new sort of 
magic system and world to play in. And I think it will really appeal to her. I just thought it was so much fun. So again, that's The Jumbies by Tracy Batiste. The series is also called The Jumbies. Okay, time for our second sponsor, which is So Done by Paula Chase, uh, is, which is about Jamila Phillips, who is so done with many things. She's so done with secrets. She's done with Pirate's Cove, with everybody calling her Bean, with living across the street from her so-called best friend. And Mite Johnson is also so done with Summer, with Ballet, with her useless father, um, and with her supposed best friend, who answered exactly zero text messages all summer. But how do you take a, a break from being somebody's best friend. So this is a middle grade debut um, about all kinds of complicated topics, including you know, friendship and what happens when your best friend is suddenly not your best friend anymore. Um, and why is this? So this is, uh, especially for one, for um, teachers and librarians and parents who are looking for books that are about contemporary issues that um, that are covered in an age-appropriate way. Um, and it's, you know, realistic fiction that also serves as a tool to nurture empathy in young readers as they go on a journey with the main characters. Um, so again, if you're looking for a book that can deal with things like the Me Too movement, race, racism, and gender equality, you're going to want to check out So Done by Paula Chase. Thank you so much for sponsoring the show. And our next question is from Alexis, who says, I am listening to Deadly Manners, a dark comedy murder mystery podcast series I'm in love with. It's an old school style story with modern sensibilities. There's a dinner party and guests are getting picked off one by one. And LeVar Burton narrates, need I say more? I just finished the next to last episode and I'm already dreading the void in my life when it's over. Can you recommend some books to fill it? Amanda, what you got? All right. I picked Death at Went Murder Court by Carol Dunn, which is an old school murder mystery with a dinner party where people get picked off. Well, one person gets picked <laughs> off. Um, so it takes place in the 20s in Britain and is about a woman named Daisy Dalrymple, who is, which is, let's all take a minute to appreciate that name, Daisy Dalrymple, um, who has scandalized high society because she's wealthy. She comes from a very wealthy family and has decided to kind of eschew that um, to become a journalist. So she's taken her, you know, pen and her journalist notebook over to work for Town & Country magazine, except her, like, assignments are not that interesting. Her first job is to go to this big house, um, Wentworth Court, and to, like, write a story about it. Um, so she goes and in, you know, true kind of Agatha Christie-ish locked room murder mystery, a bunch of guests are all staying at Wentworth Court at the same time. 95% of them hate each other for reasons you're going to find out after somebody dies. And then somebody dies. Hey-o. Uh, somebody who is very annoying in the first couple of chapters. So when it happens, you're like, well, yeah, okay. That makes sense. Uh, she, of course, Daisy, is unnaturally skilled at details and whatnot. Um, and so she, upon viewing the body, realizes that it would probably, it was probably not an accident. It was probably set up to look like an accident. And she starts uh, kind of joining forces with the local police force to figure out what happened. And the process of doing that involves, you know, interviewing all of these very wealthy, very privileged people who do not want to associate with the police under any circumstances or have their names associated with this situation. But Daisy is in like a really uh, handy position of knowing all of these people already. She's their friends. They know her family. She's kind of gotten in. They're comfortable with her. She can ask them questions without it being like, how dare you, sir? You know, um, and she does so. Uh, and then her journalistic training also comes in, in handy there um, for asking them really prodding personal questions 
with like she, she's asking the questions that need to be asked to find out who did this thing without offending them, which is like watching her do that as uh, as a character is really fascinating. I will say that I hated the ending so much, but it's not because it's bad or because it's like poorly written. It was just infuriating to me personally as a reader. So if you've been listening to the show for a long time and like have a sense of the kind of books that I like or what would irritate me about them, then um, you might want to skip it if like your tastes align with mine. But uh, we read this for my book club and I was the only person I will say who was like, that ending was garbage. Uh, but the rest of it was amazing. So like everything but the last five pages I was super into. So that is Death at Wentwater Court by uh, Carola Dunn. Nice. Um, I am just now I'm like sitting here trying to think of what it is that happened. Um, I am recommending An Elderly Lady is Up to No Good by Helene Turston, translated by Marlene Delargy. I picked this up for all the books and it is about it is sort of like a novel in short stories. There is a little bit of a progression of a plot. So that makes it kind of novelly, but they are like little separate vignettes as it were. Um, And it is about an 88 year old Swedish woman who is a little bit like, like imagine like Dexter as an 88 year old Swedish woman. (laughs) She does not sad about murdering people sometimes. Um, And when you first meet her, you sort of, like the very first story is about her. Um, she's living in this like beautiful apartment in this very nice building in this very nice neighborhood, rent free because of like a will um, thing. And so she's inherited this apartment. And as long as she's alive, she can live in it forever. Um, and she and her entire family has passed away. And it's just her. And she's perfectly happy, like being by herself, you know, like tootling around on the internet, sitting in her armchair, minding her own business. And then um, again, in the first story, like a neighbor moves in downstairs, who's like a celebrity and is very like, you know, nosy and like tries to befriend her and is maybe trying to steal her apartment. And you can imagine sort of how that might turn out. Um, And so, yeah, the adventures, each little vignette is like, how will Maud solve this problem? The answer is probably murder. (laughs) It's really entertaining. Um, Even though you kind of know where things are going, like it's just so sort of sly and like, she's so, pragmatic and deadpan it's just really like it's really really fun and it sounds like you know while it's not the same exact circumstances as your dark comedy podcast like this is a hundred percent a dark comedy and if you're looking to read more translated literature this is a good one and helene turston um liberty told me she's written a ton of crime fiction so if you're looking for more authors to read these are all good reasons to pick this up so again that's an elderly lady is up to no good by helene turston all right question six is from ash who says, I know Halloween just passed, but I heard Shelley Laurenston's book list from Smart Bitches Trashy Books podcast. One of the things that she mentions is psychopaths, and I was wondering if you had any recommendations for this. I don't want mystery or thrillers, more like a mind dive into spotting them, trying to understand why they do it, or facts. Since the holidays are coming up, I would like some recommendations as soon as possible, please. All right. Um, I picked a memoir called Confessions of a Sociopath, A Life Spent Hiding in Plain Sight by M.E. Thomas, which I read probably three or four years ago. Um, And I picked this book up because, well, first of all, it's Confessions of a Sociopath. Like, that's going to be juicy, right? Um, But also the author is a woman. And you don't see either in media um, or on the news, really, um, 
portrayals of psychopathy or sociopathy from women. Like, I think Gone Girl might have been the first time that there was a big, splashy blockbuster that was, like, this, like, about a woman who was a sociopath um, or a psychopath. I still get confused about the difference. Anyway, so you don't get the, this character's, not character, the, the author's real name or her identity. Um, you, obviously, you just know that she is really successful. Um, she's a professor in some university, and she's grown up in the Mormon church. Uh, and mostly her her uh, memoir is about realizing that she was different and realizing that she didn't have the same kinds of um, like empathy abilities as other people and trying to come to terms with that, but also not really caring because that's kind of the part of the thing about being a sociopath, right? Is that you, you don't have the empathy gene and you don't, and it doesn't bother you. Um, but she recognizes that there's something off about herself. Um, and it's, I was a little disappointed. This is going to sound so bad, like on me. I was a little disappointed that the, the book wasn't a bit juicier. Like she talks about how as a sociopath, her favorite hobby is ruining people who annoy her. But she doesn't give any details about that because she doesn't want to be sued. So it's like very pragmatic, <laughs> right? Like, But also you're kind of like, yeah, okay, but did you really? And that's the great thing about this memoir is you you have no 0% idea of how much of this is bullcrap and how much of it is true. Because if she's a sociopath, she's probably lying just for giggles right so like it's probably all made up but also everything that she talks about lines up with someone who has sociopathy so it's just a big head scratcher the whole time and it's also and it's super fascinating um she is a non-violent non-criminal that we know of sociopath so you're not going into this like getting the inner brain workings of a, a serial killer or anything like that but she is uh, you know impulsive and manipulative very charming, very successful, a compulsive liar, spends money unwise. Like, oh, she, she's not um, intentional or, or any kind of, there's no, there's no mindfulness in this, in this sociopath. Um, one of the more interesting parts of the book was her t- discussion of being Mormon and staying in the church as an adult, even after realizing that she didn't necessarily believe any of the kind of supernatural parts of organized religion, but she stays in it because it gives her a moral compass that she doesn't possess naturally because she doesn't Mm. have conscience, a conscience. So she stays in the church to like figure it, to have someone else tell her what's right and wrong so she can stay out of jail and off the news, which is like so fascinating. Like how many sociopaths are hanging out in church so that they don't go to prison? Ah, weird. Anyway, so that's Confessions of a Sociopath by M.E. Thomas. Side note, if you haven't watched Luther, there's a female villain in that. Um, and doesn't Killing Eve have that, too? Yes, and I can't figure out where to stream that. I don't think you can yeah, stream Yeah, same. It I think you have to pay for it. I yeah, think no, you have to pay for it. I don't pay for TV. <laughs> this is 2018. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Luther is available on Netflix uh, or Hulu or something. Um, so I I went. I took this question to Liberty because uh, I'm not going to lie to you. The last thing I want to read about is the mindset of a sociopath or a psychopath. Um Especially right now. But Liberty, (laughs) bless her, was like, oh, I have just the book for you. It is exactly a deep dive into the minds of a variety of serial killers um, by a psychiatrist. Uh, It's The Anatomy of Evil by Michael H. Stone um, with Otto F. Kernberg. And Stone is the host, which is this is a thing I didn't even know existed, is the host of Discovery Channel's former series Most Evil um, and is basically using... Like this concept of evilness 
and then looking at the different factors um, and histories of these serial killers to explore the concept and our like the the yeah basically the concept of evil um and including he creates a 22 level hierarchy of evil behavior which loosely reflects the structure of dante's inferno like i gotta tell you that makes me want to read this book like that is like yeah amanda catnip right there um how nerdy. And he's, I know, so nerdy, right? And he delightfully nerdy. And he he's looking at two salient personality traits for people who just like are committing crimes of passion to perpetrators of you know horrible crimes, um, sadistic torture and murder. And 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 so the one trait is narcissism, and the other is aggression. And then like how does like your you know your upbringing, your heredity, your environment, the culture you're raised in, um, mental illness, brain injury, uh, excuse me brain injury and drugs like how do all of these things sort of affect your those two traits and the likelihood of you becoming for example a serial killer um and what does it mean to be evil so this is like a really deep dive like super nerd out about evilness um but it sounds like that's what you're looking for and liberty highly recommends it so again that is the anatomy of evil by michael h stone and otto f kernberg All right. Our last question is from Joss, who says, I would love to get some recommendations for romance novels that deal with sexual trauma or sexual dysfunction or that just acknowledge the fact that sex isn't always easy and fun. I'm not fussy about the type of romance, just no paranormal. I realize this may be difficult because romance is supposed to be escapist, but I'm desperate to see my experience represented. I'm going to stop talking for a minute. Okay. Um, I picked Asking For It by Lila Pace, which I will say comes with a trigger warning for rape, sexual assault, and violence against women. Uh, both discussions of it and role play of those things. Um, so all of that said, this is a, it's a, it's erotica. I'm hard pressed to call it romance because it's, there's more than one book in the series and the relationship isn't wrapped up at the end of the first book. So if you're looking for an HEA, you need to keep going. So I will say that this is more erotica than it is romance necessarily. Um, And it's about a woman named Vivian who has rape fantasies. Like this is the thing that she's into um, and they're a secret. She doesn't really like tell people. She goes to a party one night and her ex-boyfriend who is the worst like gets drunk and tells everyone at the party what uh, what she is into uh, in the bedroom. And a stranger, a man named Jonah, approaches her um, and tells her, you know, I'm going to say this to you. I can't imagine someone doing this, but like on the book, you're like, it's reasonable. He comes up to her at this party and he says to her, you know, you're surrounded by people who are your friends and who love you and who will make you feel safe. So in this environment, I'm going to say to you that like as a stranger, if those are the things you're into, I can make that happen for you. Like we don't have to get to know each other. Um, And so that's what they do. And he, Jonah is like, he's a professor, a professor of I think it's volcanoes, which I think in a, in a work, yes, like, yes, volcanology, like, in a romance novel is just, it's so good, it's so good. Um, so they make this arrangement, complete with, you know, safe words and um, boundaries and all this, where they're not going to get to know each other, they know each other's names, and that's pretty much it, and he is going to find her in public and places where she is, like, outliving her life, um, and role play assaulting her and it gets pretty it gets really really dark like he does role play breaking into her house and raping her he role plays kidnapping her um but they're they're you know there's pre-consented pre-consent pre-consent consent to the non-consent if that makes sense um and the thing about 
these two characters is that they're both coming to these kind of kinks from a place of personal trauma. Uh, Vivian herself was raped and a lot of the book takes place on the therapist couch where she's working out uh, her dealing with that trauma and how her uh, processing that trauma has evolved into this particular kind of sexual fantasy that she feels really badly about. And then Jonah, as a child, witnessed some crimes against women in his home that have uh, given him his own predilections that he needs to, that he recognizes need to be expressed in a consenting way. So it's just fascinating, but it's super, super dark. So this is not like, yay, kind of romance. This is like, ooh, whoa. Uh, and one of those things that you'll come away from being like, I don't know if that was okay, but... It's really good. I don't know. So that's Asking for It by Lila Pace. Um, I do have HEAs for you that also acknowledge uh, trauma and um, like sex not always being easy and fun. Uh, it's a whole. There's a whole series called the Blank Canvas series by Adriana Anders that I discovered in the last year or so, and I'm just so impressed with. Um, I haven't read the third one yet, but I read the first two, and I really loved them. And the first one in particular has both dealing with uh, domestic violence and assault, and like sex being tricky um it is about a woman named uma who is like literally on the run from her ex who was abusive and she also was like forcibly tattooed by him and she has all of these horrible tattoos all over her body that she like covers up and no she doesn't want anybody she's always in long sleeves like she and she's really um sort of estranged from her own body because of them so she's dealing with this really intense separation from her body and she ends up in this small town because she hears an interview on the radio by a woman who like runs this you know tattoo removal service but she specifically offers services to people who have been like branded or tattooed against their will like she she takes on pro bono clients so she goes to this town she answers an ad to be like an assistant to this really cranky older woman <laughs> and and like she because she just needs money and a place to stay and she starts going to these sessions at this tattoo removal place. And of course, there's a giant, tall, like, sexy neighbor named Ivan who is a blacksmith because, <laughs> of course, he is. And he's this big dude who, like, a lot of people find scary. But, of course, because this is a romance novel that does have an HEA, like, Uma is, like, finding herself drawn to him. And the way that they negotiate physicality is really thoughtful and really digs into, like, what am I okay with? Not because I'm afraid of you, but because I am so sort of, I feel so broken from this previous relationship. And like, how do I heal from this while being physical with you when physicalness is really hard for me? Um, and he has his own scars, um, sort of emotional scars. And it's really, oh man, I just like, it's hard. There's, there's sections that are really hard to read, but then there's these other ones that you're just like, oh, I feel this is so lovely. Like, I just feel so warm and fuzzy about these two people finding each other um and the second book was like that too um which actually has uh, it's a little bit of a flip the hero is an undercover cop from a biker gang and he is like in witness protection because he's going to testify so he's the one who has sort of this damage um and it also involves the same tattoo clinic so uh yeah it's 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 a whole series it will dig into the aftermath of trauma and how do you heal and how do you move forward and how do you have a physical relationship 
relationship when you are really scarred in these various ways. And I think um, I really love them. So again, that's uh, the Blank Canvas series by Adriana Anders. The first one is Under Her Skin. And on that heavy note, (laughs) (laughs) thank you all so much for listening. Um, If you haven't not yet left us a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts, podcasts, words, Uh, please do take a moment. We love to see the feedback. It helps other book nerds to find the show. Um, Thank you to our sponsors for making this episode possible. And you can find me on social media on Twitter and Tumblr. It's Jen IRL. That's Jen with two N's. And Amanda. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And we'll talk to you next time.